guys, what's going on? Hey, uh, welcome to a uh, uh, another episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Jared Atkins solo tonight. Uh, this is gonna. I'm probably gonna title this uh, something like a, a bonus episode or maybe Hoffa Extended Cut because uh, I got to thinking. <clears throat> I've had a pretty busy day. I mean, yeah, I've had a pretty busy day, but I got to thinking. There there was a couple points last night that I left out and some couple theories. And uh, normally, this this has happened in the past episodes, and normally I've never circled back around to it. But this episode was of a lot of importance to me. I put a lot of time in on this. Uh, and as I stated multiple times last night, I first heard about Jimmy Hoffa when I was 12, 13 years old. So you're looking at 99, 2000. And it's something that fascinated with me and stuck with me growing up. And then as we come to decide we were going to talk about Hoffa, I've got so amassed in uh, mob culture and mafia culture and things. This episode was important to me. And uh, I thought about this like, man, I left out a couple things. There was probably a couple more theories I could have put out there uh, about who ordered the hit and what it meant. And uh, there was like, for instance, I told Kurt repeatedly last night to remember the name of uh, Buffalino, because we're going to circle back to that. Completely shit the bed there, and we never circled back around to it. So I just wanted to hop on here, uh, going remote. I really, really want to shout out, before I get started, I really want to shout out our podcast hosting. I mean, there's no shortage of of podcast hosting that we can use, and... uh, we use Transistor for our uh, premiere, our episode, our uh, very first birth of a podcast episode. I wasn't happy. I had buyer's remorse, and I shopped around. And by the time we released our second episode, which was our first official episode, which was the point guard, or uh, not the point guard, the Warriors episode, we switched to Podbean, and I've enjoyed it ever since. Uh, I pay thirty nine ninety nine a month for the podcast hosting. I get a lot of features, and my favorite thing is this right here is the mobile recording feature, which is really great when I'm on the go and I got something I want to get out there or for just my ranting laundromat listenings episode. I just put in my earbuds and I go, and uh, it's very practical that way. I ain't got, it takes me fifteen minutes or so to get all the equipment set up, dig it out of the bag, plug it in. Or uh, make sure the batteries are good because it comes with rechargeable batteries. The recorder does. It's it's just so much easier to go this route. Just earbuds in, press record, and go. So that's where we are. Um, but I just, we're going to call this Hoffa Extended Cut. Just uh, a little bit more, to put a little bit bow, a little bit bigger of a bow on the episode. Because I feel like, and I haven't listened back to it yet. Uh in the beginning, when we first started this podcast, for the first year or so, from so from May of last year to about May of this year, I would listen back to every episode to just see where I fucked up at or where we needed to make improvements on. Um, I haven't really been listening back to a lot of episodes lately because I don't want to interfere with the uh, analytics of the episode. I don't want my own listening to, to fuck it up. So I haven't listened to this one yet, but I know... From what I can remember from last night, there were some points I left out and some things I want to add. So, uh, we had a late night at Kurtz. Uh, it's been a while since we started that late. We never, 
we didn't do no 2 a.m. bonus episode like we've done in the past, but um, we record well past midnight, so, uh, anyways, I'm just, if you guys bear with me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little bit of a bow on this, just, uh, welcome to Hoffa Extended Cut. So, uh, what I'm doing now is I'm, uh, I'm sitting in my uh, office, as I've mentioned, I work from home a lot now, at least a few days a week. Uh, I got dual monitors on my computer and I'm sitting here and I've pulled up some of the, um, some of the pages I had open while I was doing research, uh, this past week, I did the research on my work computer and then transferred it to my laptop for when we recorded last night. And I'm looking back through my internet pages. Cause as I had said last night, I had 90% of the notes finished. There's only about 10% I left out. So I was looking because there was a couple more points I want to make. There was some couple more theories I'd want to put out there just to kick the tires on, see what Kurt said. I mean, mainly, you know, Kurt's got his opinion. He's set in stone now that the government, uh, disappeared Hoffa. So that's, that's Kurt's prerogative. And then of course, you know, I've given my theory, uh, but another theory I wanted to put place actually takes us back into the year of 2003. So 19 years ago, and this was by a guy named Richard Powell who had used to, who had lived at this property. He came forward talking to, um, Michigan State Police and the FBI saying that Hoffa was killed and his body was put on what would become Powell's property and they put a swimming pool in over him. And this guy is serving, I should say, this guy was serving a life sentence. Is I don't know if the guy's even still alive, but he's serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole for a murder that took place in 1982. So... This guy has no connection to Hoffa, didn't know Hoffa, didn't know the mob, had no dealings with the mafia or nothing. So it basically evens out to this guy just wanted a little bit of attention and investigators, for whatever reason, believed what this dude was saying enough that they took him handcuffed and shackled out to the scene of his old property. They dug for two or three days. Beneath the swimming pool went a good 10 feet into the ground and found absolutely nothing. They started day one, shovels and stuff. Then day two, they ended up getting a backhoe out there. Uh, but it was in uh, Bay uh, Bay County, uh, Hampton Township, I believe it was. Let me look up notes here. Like I said, I'm looking through a... You should have seen how many tabs was open, and I got dual monitors. I mean, you can't even read the full length of what the tab is saying. I had that much stuff open prepping because I was so amped about this episode. So there's obviously absolutely nothing there. This was just uh, a guy wanting a little bit of attention, and it was just funny. The reason it's is, it's just funny to me because this guy, uh, you know, Bait and switch. Wanting attention, wanting to get out and see a little bit of sunshine for a couple days, maybe. I don't know. He ain't going nowhere. He's handcuffed and shackled. He tries to run, he's going to get put down. But, um, anyways. So, what I'm about to tell you now, um, I wanted to circle back to, to one of my two theories that I said I believed. And this deals with, um, 
the whole uh, thing that's been in the news this past just a couple months ago about Hoffa's disappearance. This ties back to Ralph Picardo's story. And what I just found was a tab I had pulled up in the two weeks I was working on this episode, and apparently I never clicked on this tab to read it or view it uh, at all. So I'm going to be reading and talking to you about this a little bit, I guess. Uh, so a little refresher for those of you that are listening to this or or those of you that are listening to this before you check out Hoffa, which I highly recommend you go check out our Hoffa episode from last night. It's probably going to go down as one of my favorite episodes. Uh, about four or five days after Hoffa's disappearance, uh, there's a guy in, uh, federal, in the federal pen uh, locked up by the name of Ralph Picardo. He's a mafia guy, mob man, hit man, whatever, whatever the count is. He's, he's got mob connections. He's visited by uh, the Andretta brothers, or one of the Andretta brothers, a couple people. Anyways, he decides to turn state's evidence. Um, he confesses to Hoffa was murdered by Sal Brugliar, um, Sally Bugs, as we mentioned before. Uh, he pulled the trigger uh, in Detroit and July 30th, 1975. Okay. Tony Provenzano, Tony Pro, as we've talked about, him and Hoffa were no longer friends. He hated Hoffa. And as I've mentioned last night, and you can check your Google machines and you can see this, uh, wise guys are wise guys. They're hard asses. When you piss somebody off, they, they are not going to forget that. And, uh, a lot of guys in the mob, some of them, I shouldn't say all of them, because this is how you, when you do stupid shit, it's how you get caught. Uh, serial killers like to take trophies of their victims. That's a well-known fact. Well, sometimes some of the mob guys like to have trophies, too. That's why Provenzano had ordered that Hoffa's body, while the Detroit Mafia was clearly capable of taking care of this, could have disposed of him there. They... Picardo says that they put him in a 55-gallon drum and brought him back to Mich or New Jersey, trucked him 600-plus miles away because Tony Pro wanted to use that of a, hey, if you fuck with me, I'm going to take you to the spot where Hoffa's buried. Remember Jimmy Hoffa? I'm the reason he's not here anymore. So... There, uh, there's a guy out there now. We're going to jump forward. We're going to jump back. And this is all, like I said, circling back to last night. Uh, there's a there's a guy that's been in the news this year. His name's Phil Moscato Jr. His father was Phil Moscato Sr. They called him Brother. He was part of the mob. He owned uh, the Moscato Dump, which is under the Pulaski Skyway in New Jersey. Uh, they said that Hoffa was put in a 55-gallon drum because the Genovese family was involved with uh, gateway transportation and trucking. They brought him back. They buried him in this dump. So this is 1975, just days after Hoffa disappears. They brought him out there. Buried him. Well... Ralph uh, Picardo goes to turn state's evidence, starts telling the mafia this. They dig up Hoffa's body, 
in theory, which has already been buried on this property for for a little while, and they relocate it to another portion of the property. At the time, this dump was like 50, 60 acres, and at least half of that was toxic waste, where it was just inaccessible, and when you could access it, certain parts of it, you, you don't want to be wandering through it. So, and in 75, you don't have the technology that you have in 2022. So, it's no wonder they never found anything. Well, then, you know, 40 years later, you know, Brother Moscato passes away. He tells his son, and Philip Jr., who's not affiliated with the Mafia, wants to do the right thing. He gets the authorities involved. And uh, that's what I had, like I had told you last night, they've been digging on this place off and on for about a year now. And last month or two months ago, it came out that so far they've not found his body. They've not found nothing. But the theory was that they buried him in a 55 gallon drum and put other drums on top of him. Well, you know, the body's been relocated. They did the whole ground penetrating sonar last year. And then you can take the data from those sonars, as I mentioned last night, and you can create a 3D image of that on your tablet, computer, whatever, and it gives you basically what you're looking at. Well, beneath the surface, there are several drums a good 10, 15, 20, 30 feet down. Metal drums, just one on top of the other. So, but one thing that is super interesting about this is that Moscato Jr. wants to do the right thing to give um, these preceding generations of Hoffa family members, you know, uh, Hoffa's son is still alive. I don't know if Hoffa's daughter is still alive. I never checked that doing the research. Uh, But Hoffa has grandchildren, and I'm sure by now Hoffa has great-grandchildren. So there's family members that need closure. Moscato Jr. doing the right thing, while not connected with the mob like his father is, um, he's also smart enough not to piss the mob off because the mob is still very much a thing. The American mafia is still very much a thing. He won't publicly disclose the exact details where he said his father was buried. According to Moscato Jr., his father told him the exact spot. Moscato, out of fear for his own safety or respecting his father and the whole code of emerita that his father had taken, won't hasn't, to my knowledge, um, disclosed any more details about the location of the body. But as I said, it was in the headlines just two, three months ago. Uh, As of July, they have still not found anything. I think their investigations are still going. But what you understand, this 50, 60-acre property is no longer a dump. It's been divided up into other businesses. But there's uh, a section of that property that's still uh, probably the size of... uh, from what I read in the prep last week, it's probably the size of two or three baseball diamonds, maybe a little bigger. Who knows? But it all depends, too, on how far you got to dig down. I mean, who knows how far down he is? So, and that pretty much, almost in a way, corroborated the original story that came out in August 4th of 75, just four or five days after Hoffa disappears. So, there you go. Now, I wanted to talk to, um, I wanted to shed a little bit more light on this uh, theory of Frank Sharon. 
the Irishman. You know, this movie came out a few years ago, Al Pacino and um, Robert De Niro. We, me and Kurt talked about this last night. I didn't spend a lot of time on this because I didn't put a lot of faith in in Sharon's theory. But, you know, um, maybe there is some more weight to this and maybe I should have gave this a second look. I've not read the book. There's a book that Sharon... Uh, attorney Charlie Brandt had put out with Sharon. It was released uh, after Sharon passed away. It's called I Heard You Paint Houses, which is mafia code for, hey, I heard you're a good hitman. And this is funny because like I had told Kurt, uh, in every Hoffa theory, it's a little bit different on who was in the car when he left. You know, some people say these people are in the car. Some people say these people are in the car. The only connection that's always the same is that when he was executed in the head, it was two dimes. Boom, boom. And uh, this uh, this theory here uh, is kind of intertwining in a way, or I'm intertwining, I should say. Moscato Jr., I know we were just talking about Frank Sharon, that we're going to circle back, um, Moscato Jr. says that his father told him that Detroit, uh, one of the Detroit capos, uh, Vito Jackaloni, Billy Jack, uh, who was Tony Jack, Tony G- Tony Jackaloni's younger brother, uh, drove Hoffa to a nearby residence where he was shot by Sally Bugs. Okay, so. Sally Bugs was murdered like three or four years after Hoffa's disappearance. And it's long since been rumored that now it's been thought by some as I never did directly answer Kurt last night. I was super excited. I was into the episode trying not to make mistakes and you know, I left things out. So to me, I made mistakes. I left things out. I didn't tie it up enough. Uh, Many people assume that as far as the theories go that are not involving government disappearance, like again, that's Kurt's and and it's good. Me and Kurt have never had really a disagreement on the show or deferring opinions about something before. So I'm excited to see that go, you know, good for us, but it's long since been thought by many people that Sally bugs was the trigger man. And the other half, the people seem to think that Frank Sharon was the, the hitman. Now in the Irishman movie, that's again, I haven't seen the movie, uh, I'm going out of town tomorrow, a uh, work trip, uh, a little bit north of Indianapolis, so I might watch The Irishman, Netflix on my phone here in the hotel room, but um, in the movie The Irishman, Frank Sharon is the one who takes out Sally Bugs. Now, if that's true, uh, I don't know. Um, so... But getting back to the Sharon theory, uh, the Irishman Frank Sharon was really close with the the Mafia Dons, uh, Angelo Bruno, who was known as the Gentle Don in Philadelphia, and Russell Buffalino, who is related to um, who is related to the Buffalino that was Kurt that I told Kurt to remember William Buffalino his family to Russell Buffalino. Now, Russell ran Pennsylvania. Um, I'm assuming Pennsylvania's a big a big area. Uh, he was more 
uh, you know, did work in Pittsburgh and, and of course, all over. But they're all connected somehow. Uh, It's been rumored that Buffalino gave the okay and put the hit out to take out Hoffa, and the contract was given to Tony Pro, and Tony, being a capo, gave the hit to hit one of his soldiers, who would have been Sally Bugs. So, and as I said last night, Tony was high enough as a capo, Tony Pro, Provenzano, he could have ordered the hit himself. But as my theory, and I know, I don't think I told Kurt this last night on the podcast, I think that the hit came higher than Provenzano. I think it came from a boss or an underboss, and Tony Pro ended up, I think it was at Tony's urging. It's like, hey, this guy's going to make a lot of trouble for us. Um, could it come up from as high as the top of the Genovese family? Uh, who knows? Then You know, like I said, I've been amassing a mob culture. At the end of the day, the five families, they're to make a dollar together. It's not out for blood with each other in the streets. That happens sometimes. But at the end of the day, they're, they're here to protect and make a dollar together. And you can't make a dollar together when somebody's bringing down your organization. So I think Provenzano, in my opinion, I think Provenzano was talking to some people and said, hey, Jimmy was a prick. Jimmy basically told me to suck his dick in prison. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy's an arrogant prick. You know, and he's not listening to our warnings about you need to just back away from this presidency thing. Jimmy's going to turn against us, take us down, and we need to do something about it. So then I think it got out, and Buffalino's like, you know what, I'll go ahead and take care of this, fellas. He gives the, the hit to Provenzano, and Tony's acquires Sally Bugs, and it's like, hey, go take care of this for me. Now, but getting back to the Sharon theory, the Frank Sharon theory, um, according to Sharon, they went to the house, and there was nobody in the house. It was an empty house. It belonged to... Um, I said last night, the, uh, I cannot think of the freaking name of the person. What the hell was Lakata? Lakata. Nikki Lakata, who was uh, a mobster that did a lot of shit in California. His mother lived like two or three miles from the Red Fox restaurant. The house would have been empty. They took him there. Uh, they, they go in the house, according to Sharon. Nobody's there. Jimmy turns around to walk back out. And as they get in the foyer, Jimmy is in front of Sharon because he trusted Frank Sharon. And Sharon double-dived him right there in the back of the head. Now, what's interesting is as this theory came out in later years, the FBI visited this house. They investigated this house. The people that owned it, they got permission. The house is still standing in Detroit today or outside of Detroit, wherever it was at, Bloomfield township, whatever, Um, they cut up floorboards and stuff. They found blood. They found blood in the house, in the floorboards. But, and they tested it. And, you know, you're thinking at the time, this is going to be the greatest shit ever. 
but it's sitting in a foyer right by the front door where Detroit cold and Detroit heat's coming in and out over the years. People are walking on it. The bloods you you couldn't get a good sample of DNA off of it, so there was never able to prove that it was Jimmy Hoffa's blood. They was able to prove enough that it was human blood with the presence of the luminol and everything in the house, but they can't get any DNA off of it. So, and this was based on what Sharon had said on his deathbed. So, now, what I'm about to tell you here, and is is really my biggest, one of the biggest reasons for the uh, Hoffa Extended Cut episode here tonight, is because um, last night when I got back home from Kurtz, or early this morning, it was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I was pretty amped up, adrenaline was pumping, I just wasn't tired, so I stayed I stayed up till probably about 7.30 this morning, and I decided that uh, I wanted to do a little more mafia and, and stuff digging, because I thought on the way home I'd done missed a couple things I wanted to add in, and I was sitting there, um, this phone I'm using right now was dead. I'm going to be completely transparent with you guys, telling you a whole bunch of info you don't need to hear. This phone was was pretty much dead, so I had it on the charger. So I've got an iPhone for my work phone. And uh, I, got, I got on there, and I was searching. And I found an article that was written in July of 2016 that completely just blows my theory about Ralph Picard, uh, Picardo, and the whole Tony Pro theory to pieces. Not saying I don't still believe it, but it's it's one of those where, damn, I really like my theory, but it's hard to believe. Kind of like Kurt was with the, you know, Kurt's got a soft theory about the giant stadium thing. Well, this would kind of be my soft theory about this. I still really cling to this whole Tony Pro had him trucked back to Jersey. Uh, but then... I read this nice piece and it just blows that theory almost completely to pieces. Like I'm hanging on to that with a fraction, you know? So there's a, there's a, a nice Arthur by the name of Andy Pettipus. He's a mob historian. He's a world renowned author. Um, he's a big Hoffa guy too. Uh, he wrote a piece on an online site that specializes in mobster news called gangland news. Um, and this is where I got this information from. I had never seen prior to last night working on, uh, when I came home, I had never seen this information. I wish I would have had it when we recorded last night. This is one of the biggest reasons for the Hoff extended cut. He says that Buffalino, Russell Buffalino ordering the hit, Tony Provenzano, Sally Bugs, uh, the Irishman, Frank Sheeran, brother Moscato, all this, all this is bullshit, is what he says. And he says the reason for that is he believed that they were fed hook, line, and sinker by Ralph Picardo um, when they came to visit him in jail uh, because of the fact that Picardo was uh, looking for a lighter sentence. He was looking at 25 years for killing a New Jersey man. Okay, which I had said last night he was in jail for homicide. Uh, Picardo had done some driving for Provenzano in the, in the past. 
And and he lays out this theory of why this didn't work, saying that Picardo was looking to feed any information to law enforcement he could to get a lighter sentence. Said he absolutely had dick all to do with it. He said, why would Northeastern mob families be given the task of killing Jimmy Hoffa, whose murder was likely to be more sanctioned by the Mafia Commission since he was such a prominent national figure? Uh, Jimmy was an associate of the Detroit family. He said the Detroit family could have done this to Hoffa without raising suspicion. He said, besides, how many things, which I had hit on last night, by the way, and again, I hadn't seen this article until after the episode, but I touched on this briefly on this theory. I said, how dangerous would it have been the amount of things that could go wrong when you're trucking a body 600 plus miles back to New Jersey? You know? So, God only knows the things that are going to go wrong there. And then he said, the only evidence that you really have is about Hoffa's death comes from a gangster brother, one of the Andretta brothers. He said at the time he was in jail, Picardo was um, not a very happy guy. And that's because uh, Tony Provenzano, basically they had taken all of, taken, taken, wow, taken, they had basically taken all of his business interests when he was in jail he had nothing, you know, he was pissed, and he wanted, so he's going to feed a line of bullshit, get a lighter sentence, and basically implicate these other guys that had nothing to do with it. And then he, one, one of the things he said in this, which really just blew my mind, he said, it's so unlikely that Andretta would tell Picardo about the killing of such a high-profile guy in this country like Jimmy Hoffa on the other side of a glass partition talking to him on a prison phone that was recorded, more than likely being recorded because you're inmates, you don't have no privacy when you're inmates. He said not even the world's dumbest fucking gangster would commit such a crime. But the FBI, grasping at straws for anything about Hoffa, bit into it. Hook, line, and sinker. Now, he, uh, Pedipus, in his article here, said that there was no evidence found of um, Picardo taking a polygraph test. If he did, there's no evidence of him passing it. And he goes on to say, you know, with Picardo feeding the FBI and the Michigan State Police this information and everything, they look at Russell Buffalino who's a mob boss with with the um, Genovese family connections, but he's a a tiny mob boss of a small family in northeast Pennsylvania where there's not a lot of gangster shit to do in northeast Pennsylvania. So he continues to lay it out in his article how it goes. And again, this is one guy's opinion, but... It makes you think, and it made me think last night, like, fuck, I just totally screwed up the Hoffa episode. Because, like I said, now I'm kind of hanging on to this theory by a fraction. My opinion might have been swayed a little bit, but he said, with this information, Buffalino orders the hit. Gives the contract to Tony Provenzano. 
right now. Provenzano gets in touch with Detroit mob, Capos, uh, Tony Jackaloni. They, and Tony lures Moffa to a fake peace meeting with Provenzano. Hoffa gets picked up by his associate and his foster son, Chucky O'Brien, which we talked about. Provenzano associate Sally Bugs, his brother Gabe Riliario, and Tom Sandretta fly to Detroit by a private plane. They take care of the job as the theory goes. So then Hoffa's body gets placed in a 55-gallon drum, put on a gateway transportation truck, which is connected to the Genovese family and Tony Provenzano. And they drive him 600 plus miles to New Jersey. He says, the feds, how the federal agents didn't think this was insane enough that gangsters would risk being caught with a body, especially the body of somebody famous like Hoffa, and traveling traveling a homicide victim across state lines. But they bid enough that in uh, January of 1976... You know, five or six months after Hoffa disappears, they start digging at the Brother Moscato's dump. So then Pedipus, while writing this article, says that he has no hard evidence to back up his theory, but he said in his mind, his theory makes the most sense. And then Pedipus decides to do everybody a solid that's reading his article, and he gives his own take on what he thinks happened, because, you know, Anybody that's a, a Hoffa guy has their own theory. So Pedipus gives everybody his theory. And his theory said that Anthony, Tony, Jack, Jackaloni lures Hoffa to this supposed, um, you know, peace treaty meeting between him and between Hoffa and Tony Pro. Uh, outside the Marcus Red Fox restaurant, Hoffa's waiting. He's late. He said he's probably picked up, most likely, by... Uh, Jack Loney's brother Vito, Billy Jack, and a couple other people in the car. Billy Jack's presence would not be alarming to Hoffa because, you know, he was supposed to, he was expecting to mate with the Jack Loney brothers. Now, what's funny about this, uh, according to his theory, is that Billy Jack Loney, uh, Vito's, Vito's location has not been to this day pinned down. He thinks Hoffa was probably killed in the car instead of at a house, which again, I don't buy. You're shooting a car. Everybody in the car is going deaf. Blood's going to splatter. You're going to have three other guys with blood on them driving down the road. You know, people are watching everywhere. I don't believe Hoffa was killed in a car. But Pedipus said that was his theory. He says that his body was most likely buried in the Detroit area. If it was in Detroit, I don't think he was buried. I said, like As I said last night, I'm clinging. The, the biggest theory I'm clinging to... Uh, besides this one, was the incinerator theory. If Hoffa was still in Detroit, he's he's ashes. Hoffa wasn't buried in Detroit. But, um, you know. Now, where this takes another exciting turn is, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this guy on the episode last night, but there was a guy by the, there's a guy by the name of Dan Moldia, who is a, for, I, think I, I think I might have mentioned him. Moldia is a former crime writer, uh, investigative reporter. Uh, I think he may or may not have been involved in law enforcement, too. I could be wrong. Uh, or maybe that was the guy that was working with uh, Elkin. I don't remember. Moldia does a lot of investigative reporting, though. 
he wrote a response uh, about a year later, so you're looking in 2017-ish. He had wrote a response to Petapiece's uh, story in Gangland News and said that Andy has the right to be wrong. Uh, he says his account of what happened, who did it, and where Hoffa ended up is the most plausible theory about the mysterious case. Of course, Modi is talking about his theory. So Modi's theory says that Hoffa goes to the Moccas Red Fox restaurant, supposed to be meeting uh, Tony Jack and Tony Pro. Uh, neither man showed up. Of course, we know that Tony Jack was there. And, and in, in, in the Hoff X memo, which, uh, again, as I said last night, uh, two weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago, I was working in Indianapolis and uh, I couldn't sleep. So at two o'clock in the morning, uh, Wednesday morning in my hotel room, Thursday morning, I read the 56-page Hoffex memo that was pushed before the United States Senate. Um, and in it, it clearly states that Tony Giacalone and Tony Provenzano were seen as many places as possible, and it clearly states in the Hoffex report they were doing nothing more than solidifying alibis. Because neither man shows up. Tony Pro's playing cards with one of the Andretta brothers, in New Jersey, Tony Jacks did are getting a rub down and a tuggy at a massage complex in Detroit. So Hoffa's picked up in a car, supposedly with Sally Bugs, uh, his brother Gabriel Berlaglio, and Andretta, one of the the other Andretta brother. Okay, um, he's picked up. Sally Bugs again, two taps in the head. His body's taken to commercial sanitation, incinerated. And then and the FBI is starting to figure out something's clicking here. They go to they're getting ready to go drop a bomb and investigate the sanitation building, which is again is 20, 30 miles outside of Detroit. It catches fire in an arson investigation to which this day they've never found out who committed arson. So, that's his theory. Um, what's interesting is we've talked a lot about the Andretta brothers here. They were um, put in front of uh, a federal grand jury in Detroit as part of this Hoffix memo and an investigation. And they invoked their Fifth Amendment's rights to not answer any questions about the murder of Jimmy Hoffa. This Hoffix memo, as I had mentioned last night, is... Filled with like a who's who of gangsters and mobsters from Detroit and New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. It's, it's a who's who. You can find it online. Uh, it's it's a very, very, very interesting read. And it's heartbreaking because they list all these possible theories and things. And, and pretty much in every part of it, it's like, we believe this could have happened. We believe this could have happened. But without no body or no evidence, who's to say? And it also clearly in their states. And you got to think, the Hoffex memo was published in 676, 77, 78. It clearly states without no body that we have nothing to give us evidence that Hoffa is either alive or dead. So at this point, they're still believing that he could possibly be alive, which is just completely asinine to me how they would even remotely think that he could still be alive, which is just complete bullshit. 
But I digress. So, I mean, I can't say for sure. Nobody can. You know, my third favorite theory, of course, is uh, Hoffa's former driver, Marvin Elkin. Guy's probably in his 80s now. His theory that Hoffa's underneath the Detroit skyline. And as I said, it's going to take a a fire that burns that son of a bitch to the ground. A tornado or an earthquake that completely topples that building before they ever dig it up. It's one of the top ten most iconic skylines in the in you know the the country. They're never going to dig that up. My second favorite theory is you know pretty much that one. He's still buried under the Pulaski skyline uh, skyway, but you know this companion piece I found last night after we record the episode kind of puts theories in that. Or holes in that theory. So I'm sticking with uh, whether Sharon did it or not, or it was Sally Bugs. I don't know. Whether Frank Sharon's completely full of shit, which I think he is. And, you know, he's an auger here to defend himself. I think Hoffa was done in, in the house, and taken immediately to the cream, to the to the incinerator. Or and, 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 if, and if for some chance he wasn't taken to this commercial incinerator, then he was taken to a nearby funeral home that had mob connections and put in the crematory and uh, put him in the oven at 450 and let this bitch cook. You know what I'm saying? So, who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I knew this wasn't going to be a super long episode. I just, I wanted to, um, to tie a bow up and, uh, Throw another couple more theories out there and just uh, make this a little companion piece. You know, Hoffa extended cut. You know, I put a lot of my, uh, you know, uh, shit pan ideas in it. So, uh, shit pan. Shout out after two beers podcast. Shit pan. But uh, so that's, that's pretty much it for that. Um, I had a lot of fun doing this episode with Kurt. Um, I hope it. I hope it. Um, it receives well. Uh, looking at the tracking data so far, I'm looking. I'm getting ready to dig it up right now. Here, <laughs> dig it up. We're talking about Hoffa. Nice little inside joke. Uh, so far, it's um, it's doing well. So far, it's had about four downloads. Which I mean, you know, we usually when we do weekend episodes, which is primarily we. The most of the time we record on Saturdays, that's the way it's been for a year and a half. We typically don't start getting streams of those episodes in until the following week because nobody's going to listen to full-length podcasts that run two or three hours on a weekend when they're with their families. That usually comes in when you're listening to it at work on Monday through Friday or you know, if you've got a long commute to work, you're listening to it to and from. But uh, I hope it becomes well-received. I hope it's fun, and I'm really starting to enjoy these uh, these non-sports episodes from the uh, Steel Toes side of things. And we've got more of them coming. Uh, we will sometime before the end of the year. Uh, we've got, you know, two months, three months, whatever. Um, we're we're going to do Oklahoma City 1995 yet to put that government overreach to bed. And we'll do Killdozer. And uh, who, who else knows? I'd like to do some more mob stuff. Honestly, I'm going to bring that to Kurt's attention. I think that I would have an enjoyment doing that. But uh, that's it, guys. I, I hope you enjoyed this little uh, Hoffa Extended Cut bonus content. By God, if we had a big following, I'd put this out for uh, Patreon. 
our Patreon subscribers make a little money off this episode, but we're not there yet. But as always, uh, we appreciate the support, guys, of the podcast. Uh, we really do. It's taken. Uh, we've been at this a year and a half now, and we're finally starting to see it pay some dividends. We've not got any financial dividends yet, but as far as uh, loyalty and listens and downloads, it's starting to pay some dividends now. So, um, for Kirk Kelly, I'm Jared Atkins, and for Ethan Doyle, who uh, is our third anchor, he's finally going to be coming on board. Uh, look for me and Ethan to start putting out, as we get closer to the NBA season, some uh, NBA previews for you guys. But uh, for those guys, I'm uh, Jared Atkins, and I will see you guys next time. Jimmy Hoffa, baby. We don't know where you're at. But you're always in our minds.